going on, everybody? Uh, Kevin Cole here, Unexpected Points, the week review pod. Sorry I didn't hit you up on Friday. Had a few things come up. Um, I don't know how valuable those pods are anyway. I think I'm more in the review business, honestly, than the preview business. Preview, a lot of conjecture, a lot of guessing, uh, a lot of good, a lot of bad. Uh, review, that's that, that's kind of where I thrive, I feel like here. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to review week seven, Sunday, everything that went on. And again, looking at this from the numbers-based perspective, this is your number one analytical podcast out there, which, you know, maybe not the best format for analytics, but, you know, get on that, uh, get on that Substack, unexpectedpoints.substack.com. Get those advanced reviews. Uh, get access to my Google subscriber sheet, which has all the numbers there for you. But more importantly, I have some commentary there and I have some commentary that I can make around the numbers here, which may not align with your personal impressions or many people's personal impressions from these games. That's what we're trying to get by looking at these numbers first. Uh, you'd be surprised how much different a game can feel and look and impress upon you if you look at the numbers first, then watch the game uh, rather than just watch the game. Uh, I'll talk about some of those circumstances in this one. All right, let's go. Let's not go Sunday night first. I've done that before, but I want to just start with the early window here. I'll bring up on the screen for those watching on YouTube. And if you want to do it in the future, I have YouTube links to all the different Substack posts that I put out when it is a podcast. You can get on there, subscribe, uh, drop me some comments if you want as I'm going through these uh, and get on that. And just bring up some of the numbers, but of course I'll go ahead and walk through them. Uh, I also try to, you know, say when necessary, anything that I'm talking about, as far as the numbers are concerned without having to make it something where you have to be watching on the YouTube. All right, let's go early window first. I want to start Baltimore, Detroit, uh, in Baltimore. I think this is a very, very interesting game. Not like thrilling, not an interesting score. We had 100%, uh, basically 100%, rounding up to 100% win probability for the Ravens before we got to halftime. So that's not great. Um, but I do think this game gives an impression that's probably quite a bit different from what the final, from what the reality was in this. And I think in some earlier instances, I've come across as a bit of a Ravens hater, in other words, being a skeptic there. And it's going to happen again today. So I apologize in advance to Ravens fans out there. But, you know, hear me through here. This is not like some personal opinion that I'm giving you here. Uh, it's a numbers-based take based upon some of the metrics that I look at. And some of it contextually may look better or worse than what the numbers are saying. And there's always reasons to get around it. But I do think it's interesting if you look at the numbers first before watching the game, although I did see the final score before before watching the game, so I knew that it was going to be a wipeout, that you do start to notice a few different things. And you go, okay, You're like I kind of get it why the um, the adjusted scores are a bit more narrow than the final score. Although, let, let's face it, it's harder to be, it's a 32-point differential, right? 38 to 6 in this one. So it's harder to have a bigger differential than that. Uh, when it comes to adjusted scores, because everything looks a little bit more narrow because it's going to 
it's going to take out the outlier plays. And obviously you need quite a few outlier plays to go in the Ravens fashion in order to have this big of an ass whooping, no matter how good the fundamentals are in this one. But let's talk about it. Okay, so the thing that, that comes up here, we're talking about Ravens-Lions and why this is a little bit closer than you might think, is really the one metric that you can point to is saying what was the Ravens in their EPA per play? In other words, just their straight up like offensive efficiency in this one, especially those first, let's say, four drives where they just march down the field and, you know, score a touchdown every single time that they that they have it to start. So especially in those versus what their success rate is now. Points are what matter. So EPA per play is what matters in scoring. That's what the Ravens had basically off the charts, you know, 100th percentile type of situation for those first four drives as they marched down and scored every single time. But the manner in which they did it, the success rate was a bit lower. And ideally, you'd want to have the high success rate and high EPA offense because that shows that you had multiple chances to like convert a bunch of different times. And it wasn't just that you happened to align the big plays and the conversions when you needed them um, because that's not going to be the most sustainable going forward. So if you think about this game, let's just look at the overall numbers in this game. So for all of the different offensive performances so far in 2023, so there's been 210. So in other words, you know, 105 games, 210 offensive performances on two in each game um if you look at their epa per play this game the ravens were the fourth best of any of the 210 performances so it was really 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 good fourth best there now if you go by offensive success rate and their success rate was under 50 percent in this which is still you know good um, but not nearly as high. I mean, for instance, we have a few games in the 60% success rate so far this season. We have several above 50% in this season. If you look at where they are at 49.2%, it is tied for 45th best out of 210. So again, it's it's in that top quartile, but it's not close to being you know in the top handful of performances as it is in EPA per play. So... That's something that detracts from the performance here. They were getting the third and fourth downs when they needed it. You know, big fourth down conversion on the first drive. uh, Third and eight touchdown on the second drive where he spun around quite a bit for for Lamar Jackson. They converted on a third and five, no, third and eight on the second drive where Lamar Jackson was essentially throwing the ball away, but they had offsetting penalties of an illegal contact down the field and then a... Uh, intentional grounding, those offset. They got a second bite at the third down. They converted that. They had a bunch of big plays. I think they had five 20-plus yard plays on those first couple of drive, first few drives. Um, and it's like, I love explosive plays, but the thing was they were mixing in a lot of plays where they, were, they weren't gaining yards uh, or barely gaining yards, so unsuccessful plays, and then chipping in these 20-yard plays. And, hey, if they can continue to do that all season, you know, you tip the cap to them, right, on that one. Um, so that's why it's a little bit, 
you know, questioning a little bit more the Ravens' offensive performance than what their straight-up numbers were in this game because they were so successful in the big plays, so successful in coming up with the conversions when they needed them. Now, on the Lions' side of things, um, you know, I don't want to, like, ignore what they put up offensively, but their success rate wasn't, that wasn't like, awful compared to what their score was, 41.3% success rate. And you had a few instances in this game where what happens is you get down really big early. And if you think about in this in this game for the Lions, so the Ravens have the ball first. They score a touchdown. The Lions get the ball. Um, you know, they almost complete a, a pass on the sideline, the Jamison Williams, which would have been a first down, but his feet don't quite get in. Uh, they get into third and medium. Jared Goff gets sacked on the first drive, right? So Jared Goff gets sacked on the first drive, three and out, um, but pretty good pressure there. They almost convert on a play earlier. So you punt the ball away. The next time you get the ball, so the second time you get the ball, you're looking up the scoreboard, you're down 14, nothing. You know, and you've only had three plays. Uh, in the second drive, they have a little swing pass. They have a running play. You get into third and medium. Again, Jared Goff faces pressure on third down, can't convert. So two, three and outs. But again, after two, three and outs, you look up at the scoreboard, you're down 21 to nothing. And all you've had is the ball twice. You've only had six plays. Uh, you almost converted on the first one, but you, you couldn't quite get two feet down. And you look up, you're down 21 nothing. Your win probability in this game, the, the Lions, it was a 60-40 start by the markets. To start this game, so you had a 40% win probability going into the game for the Lions. Six plays on offense. Nothing major. It's not like you threw a pick six or a fumble six or a turnover or anything. Nothing major there. Just a couple of three and outs, which happens. All of a sudden, your win probability is down to 6% the next time you touch the ball. Down from 40 to 6%. Again, unsuccessful. Ravens score another touchdown. You get the ball back. Your win probability is down to, I think it's 3%. It's like the game's over before it started, in a way, for the Lions' offense, which made things difficult. Um, so I'm not going to, like, freak out too badly about how they played there. I mean, they were they didn't have a great success rate passing the ball. They were faced a lot of pressure, but I don't know. It was a, it was a bad position to be in, basically, uh, for, for this here. Um. Another thing to think about, again, when you're down a lot in these games, you you take more risk. And when those those risky plays go against you, then it looks even worse than the final score. So they came up with, with zero points from two failed fourth down conversions and an interception where they were all in Ravens territory. So that's another thing. Like they had chances, but they said, you know, we got to press it because this offense on the other side of the field is just crushing us. So we have to continue to press to press it and you know they they rolled the dice a few times um and they came up craps they crapped out all three times which really compiled um and made the score even even worse as it looked here um more jackson 25.4 total epa generation in this game and that includes only 1.3 rushing or scrambling so this is really the best total game that Jackson has had since any game. So you have to go back to his 2019 MVP season, but in that season, a lot of it was on the ground and it wasn't on the ground here. So this is something unique we're seeing from Jackson here. And um, 
We'll see about the sustainability. Again, he's been up or down. It's interesting that his completion percentage has been so high the entire season, but yet the success rate and the EPA per play when he's dropped back to pass hasn't been great until this game. This game, well, actually, he's had he's had another couple of okay games, but this was really like the super breakout game sort of here. Some of the plays maybe you can discount a little bit, like an 80-yard reception to Gus Edwards later on when it was totally in uh, uh, in garbage time. But I think the real big difference happened up front where Jackson had a lot of time to pass. He was pressured, but a lot of times those pressures came after he held the ball quite a, quite a long time on those first few drives. So he got some pressure. He was able to escape and make plays in those high leverage downs, uh, a rushing play on fourth down, some big conversions on third down, passing the ball when he had some time to pass. Whereas Goff just didn't really have that much time. I mean, he took five sacks. And he's normally pretty good at avoiding sacks. I think part of it was just they had to drop back the pass so often that the Ravens, again, could just pin back their ears on defense. They knew they were up 21-0 before the the Lions even had the ball a third time. And they could come with pressure. But they were getting pressure pretty much early. And that was really the difference in in this game um, and the quarterbacks not being able to operate because of those circumstances. So, again... You know, tip of the cap to the, the Ravens, but I got to focus on things that may be different from what our perception was. And, you know, my numbers are not going to be quite as high on the Ravens in this game as uh, the numbers coming out of it. All right, let's go to Chicago. Everyone's favorite uh, Tyson Badgett uh, versus Badgett Badgett versus uh, Brian Hoyer. Man, Hoyer was awful in this one. Negative uh, 15% completion percentage over expected. Um losing about 0.15 EPA per play and huge negatives in this one. So two interceptions that totaled, let's see here, how much is that? 12.3 EPA lost on two interceptions. Although one of them was pretty late in the game in the fourth quarter where it kind of didn't matter anymore. They were down 24 to six, eventually gets yanked. They bring in uh, Aiden O'Connell who had a pretty good preseason too. He was kind of similar to, uh, Badgett in the, as far as the how well did he play during the preseason? How did Tyson Badgett have a two yard a dot? I gotta watch this game. <laughs> two yards? What the hell? What, what happened here? Uh, I mean, he didn't have to do a lot because they ran the ball well, and obviously their defense caused turnovers here. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe I gotta put like fraudulent watch on this EPA per play that he had in this game with this two yard a dot. What the? What happened there? Um, is that, a, is that a correct number? Anyone who watched this game can tell me whether or not it was really that ugly. I, I'm i going to cop to the fact that I did not watch this one so far. Uh, Aiden O'Connell came in, though, played pretty well. So maybe if Jimmy is down again, they'll go with him versus Hoyer just saying, hey, we got to, like, you know, give him, give him some more looks. We know what we got in Hoyer, and it ain't good. Um, the Bears' victory, it's kind of interesting. This has moved them up now into a four-way tie for the third-worst record in the NFL at 2-5. and five. Now, they're still holding on to the Panthers pick, and the Panthers are 0-6, so they got the number one pick that way. But going into this week, I think they had the number one and the number two pick um, as of you know pre-week seven. Now it's maybe the number three, four, five pick um, and the number one pick for the Panthers. And if the Panthers start winning some games, which at the point does not look likely, it could, it could have a little bit of a flip, a flippening here for the Bears. If the Bears can't get into the top two picks, to get one of the big name quarterbacks here in this draft. I mean, maybe there'll be three or four 
big name quarterbacks by the time the college football season is over. But if they can't get up there, they passed up a chance to draft someone with the first pick last year. And I know you could say, oh, well, they would have taken Bryce Young and Bryce Young hasn't played well. But, well, you know, whatever. They could have taken C.J. Stroud, right? There's nothing, there's nothing that was uh, preventing them from taking the number two overall pick. Um, it, either way, it's a 50-50 chance of getting a, a guy who looks good, which is which I think they would take. Uh, we're going to start looking back on that decision, um, you know, pretty negatively on this one. Uh, what are we going to look at here? It's interesting. The Ra- Raiders still can't rush the ball either. 2.8 yards per attempt. It's been a problem for them. It's kind of been on or off sort of situation, but it's been a problem for them. And it's interesting that the Bears were 8 of 13 converting on third down. So another thing where you're like, eh, is this real or not? I don't know. Maybe it's a lot of short third downs. But keeping mistakes to a minimum and even having that short of an A dot, I think, is what really saved them in this one. And that's something where against this sort of offense it's going to work. Playing against the Raiders offense is going to work. Is it going to work against others? I'm not quite sure. Um, plus a 14.7 advan- uh, disadvantage in special teams and penalties, and they still ended up winning. 14.7 EPA advantage there. All right. Don't have a lot to say about this game. Um, Colts Browns. What a game! Thirty-eight to thirty-nine, offensive explosion. Although it was more like a lot of turnovers kind of helped <laughs> the, the explosion here for for these guys. Um, adjusted score. Both of the scores are quite a bit lower because again they were aided by short fields and turnovers and things like that. Um, I had the Colts being slightly better in this one. Both teams ran way above expectation. Both teams were almost 15% pass rate under expectation in this one. Both teams had poor success rates. Uh, the Colts were a little bit better. But the Colts, just the turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. Now, I know Gardner Minshew, like maybe this is part of his DNA that I didn't fully acknowledge on here. But a fumble he had here. And if you take the fumbles, the sacks, the interceptions, 20 EPA loss. But what's weird is he actually played pretty well to get up to positive EPA on the game. So if I were going to look at this game, how I would look at it is say, like the Colts offense was fundamentally kind of better than the the Browns, and but the turnovers were crushing them. And that's what kept the Browns in this game. Deshaun Watson was awful. I mean, he only played five plays. But somehow in those five plays managed to lose six EPA. And it wasn't just turnovers. I mean, he had, I think, some sacks for 2.5 EPA lost. He just couldn't complete a pass. They just couldn't do anything. And I don't know what's going on. I guess he was cleared to come back in the game. But then Stefanski chose not to bring him back in the game. There was all this controversy in the last couple of weeks. Well, not all this controversy, but there was some controversy the last couple of weeks about the fact that he had been medically cleared to play, but then he wasn't playing. Um, I don't know. Something to watch there. Maybe the marriage between the uh, the Browns and Watson is a little bit rocky right now, to, to say the least. Uh, Philip Walker came in. EPA was okay, but man, 20% completions under expectation. Not great there. Can we get DTR back in there again? I guess, well, whatever. They ended up winning this game, so... He's going to be he's he's going to be probably the guy for them to continue bringing in. You know, he finds a way to win um, somehow on this one, although they were not successful offensively at all. Uh, Let's talk Miles Garrett here. Right. Miles Garrett strip sack touchdown um, blocked field goal, although I think it was a 60 yard field goal. So maybe we don't give too much credit for the block on that one. And now I saw a stat that by age 28. Now, he may have started 
a little bit earlier, but it's funny that he has more sacks than anyone else in, in NFL history, including Reggie White. Although I think Reggie White started late, so it's not quite an apples-to-apples apples comparison here. Uh, the Colts also ran the ball 40 times for 168 yards. Maybe they turned to the run because Minshew was so turnover-prone. I'm not quite sure here. Uh, but it's weird that the Browns' defense, from some fundamental, a lot of fundamental metrics, didn't look very good at all, giving up 13.3 yards per attempt and getting run on pretty easily. So wasn't the greatest effort by the Browns' defense, but they did get the big plays and the turnovers, which not something you want to rely on a lot going forward, but you'll take it and you'll bank it in, in this particular game. Um, most surprising result from the day, of the day, probably, Patriots-Bills. Patriots took a good lead, Bills came back, and then Patriots get the final score at the end of the game in order to win it. Bills, you know, 51.4% success rate versus 49.2. So it's pretty close at the Bills being the slightly better team. So maybe you could say they were a little bit unlucky in this one. I mean, if you think about this, Bills success rate, right, was higher than a percent, two more than 2% higher than what the Ravens success rate was when they just went off in their game. So not getting the big plays that they need, and, you know, not getting the conversions that they need sometimes. Getting a missed field goal, a failed fourth and two conversion. Um, those sorts of plays are keeping the Bills offense down, along with issues when it comes to turnovers. You know, another turnover, another interception for, for Josh Allen in this one, which was the most negative play of the game by EPA lost. Uh, but generally, like both offenses perform pretty well. So it's more the Bills defense is, is failed them in this game than the Bills offense. But it's kind of weird because I was reading through the recap of this game and they were talking about the Bills' inability to kind of like make plays when they needed to. But in fact, the Bills were a lot better on third and fourth down in this game. So maybe it's like a weird thing where you you see them fail to convert when they get in the red zone and get touchdowns when they get in the red zone. But the Patriots are even worse about getting touchdowns when they were down when they were down in the red zone. But yet when you lose the game, everyone remembers those plays and you kind of forget the plays when you win the game, especially when you win it at the end of the game. Uh, Josh Allen, like pretty decent numbers for 54 plays. So he played a lot, uh, a lot of involvement for him. They didn't rush the ball well. Oh, actually, it was okay rushing the ball there. Um Allen, solid game. You know, he had the interception. 11 dot. he's throwing the ball down the field. He's completing at a higher rate than expectation. About a quarter of a point EPA per play. Uh, 4.5 on rushing and scrambling. He's still doing that. But then Mac Jones was really like the story as far as his number. 3.3 dot. So, I don't know. A little suspect here. His numbers as, as far as putting up 0.34 EPA per play. By far his best game of the season. He's been turnover, sack, fumble, plagued this year. Only 1.6 EPA lost on any of those sorts of plays. I think it's just one sack that he took on that one. So that's a massive difference from what we've seen from him normally. But almost all the value that he was generating was via yak and not via the air with such short throws there. So... You know, Bills are kind of interesting, right? They could have even lost another game. Even though I have them as being better in some of the uh, the games that they've lost, there is like a world where you look up at them and they're not, and they're actually, you know, three and four after these games so far. I don't think they've had their bye yet, right? So th they would have lost even another game so far this season. 
Um, I don't know. I, my power rankings are starting to look a little suspect with them up at the top. But again, like my Justice scores have them as being the better team here on the road in New England. So um, I don't know. They're probably not going to fall as much as my Justice scores as some people would want them to. Uh, Giants versus Commanders. Giants get the victory. Final score, 14-7. Magic Johnson with some great commentary after the game. For those who may have missed it, Magic let us know in his Magic Johnson way that it's tough to win when you only score seven points. Yeah, Magic Man knows football. He knows football. So, yeah, it is tough to win when you only score seven points. I agree there. And just an ugly game, right? Now, the adjusted score is much higher, 26 to 20, because the success rates were much higher. Just so many drive-killing plays especially when we're talking about the commanders here and their drive-killing plays, right? One of 15 on third down. Like, how do you even do that? Now, their success rate overall was was pretty bad at 34.7%, but still, uh, you can do the math here. One of 15 is lower than 34.7%. Like, they were just really, really bad on third down. Six sacks and an interception. Ouch. And then on the other side, you know, I had the Giants also having their own uh, turnover issues. A Saquon Barkley fumble took points off of the board when they were down, uh, you know, inside the 10-yard line for Washington. So that took points off of the board there. And that's why their their performance was a little bit better than what the final score was here. I didn't, again, haven't watched the game, but I like seeing a 42-yard pass to Jalen Hyatt. I think they need more and more of him there. Uh, I like an explosive play here for Saquon Barkley. Those are good. And then another 33-yard pass to Jalen Hyatt. Yeah, I, I, I like seeing that. Me likey that a lot. They need more Jalen Hyatt out there. I was pretty high on him coming into this year, too. So maybe I'm kind of talking my uh, confirmation bias here. But they definitely need more of him in this offense. And I don't know if it's, it's Tyrod Taylor, who's actually pretty good at throwing the ball down the field, which is a weird thing. You never think about like these rushing quarterbacks as being good down-the-field throwers. But sometimes that's what they do. Sometimes it's like all feast or famine. They rush the ball, they scramble, or they throw it down the field. And he was able to do that in this game, it looks like. Although maybe there was a big yak on these plays. I didn't see them, but those are still some big plays. And Hyatt's normally a not a yak guy, but a down-the-field guy. Um, what else do we have here? 9.6 yards per attempt for Tyrod Taylor. Pretty good, pretty good. Now, Sam Howell. I don't know, man. Lost a quarter of a point EPA per play on this one. 15.3 EPA loss to sacks, fumbles, interceptions. Now, he had the INT, which was 4.9 of that. But still, more than 10 EPA lost, I believe, all to sacks, because I don't think he had a fumble. Another six sacks in this game? 40 through seven weeks? Okay, let's let's do the quick math on that one. So we have 40 times, let's say he plays a full season, which I doubt, times 17 uh, divided by seven. That is 97 sacks. That would be an all-time record. I think 92 is the record right now. So extra game, though. So we'll give him some credit there. But still, he's the thing is, it's not just like you're taking a ton of sacks. There's just no performances. And there has to be some performance where he doesn't have a major negative from sacks. He's He hasn't taken fewer than four sacks in any game. This season, any game at all, like you got to have some performances where you're not having that anchor of the sacks. And I get it. They may be on third down. They may be trying to make plays, all this sort of stuff. But guess what? If you're going one for 15 on third down, 
then you're not getting enough upside for extending plays with these sacks that you would want to. You got to be a little bit quicker with the ball or at least try to get yourself in a position to maybe convert on fourth down. It looks like they did have a fourth down try with about a minute left in the game and uh, and failed on on that one. All right, Bucks Falcons, a very disgusting Oh, not very disgusting. Sorry, I don't mean apologies, Bucks and Falcons fans. But, eh, you know, not, not the most compelling, I'll say. Um, who's going who's gonna to win the division? Top of the NFC South performance here. Uh, 16-13, Falcons-Bucks. They trade some field goals at the end of the game for the Bucks closing the gap. And then the Falcons coming back and taking the lead. Adjusted scores a bit higher, 22-17. And, you know, likes thinks the, the Atlanta was solidly better in this game. Better success rate for sure. 43% versus 37%. Um, and that's with the Bucks having a turnover advantage. We'll talk about Desmond Ritter in a second. A slight advantage on third and fourth down. And then a penalty and special teams advantage on this one also. So that's why the Falcons are seen as being even a little bit better than what that differential is there. Um it's a weird thing going on with the Falcons when it comes to their offense this year. And, you know, I've been very, I've been hard on Desmond Ritter. I was skeptical when he was playing well, I'll put it in quotes, because he had like a pretty poor completion percentage versus expected. There were just some like big plays that were being mixed in there. But I also think now maybe people, I don't want to say people are too low on Ritter because I'm definitely not high on him still, but because he had some bad turnover in this game, and those seem to have really stuck in people's minds because he gave away the ball in ugly ways close to scoring, that people still might be putting too much of the blame on him if they had lost this game. Now, they didn't even lose the game. Uh, because when you look about their, their drop back passing, and some of his fumbles were on the ground, so that's why it didn't affect the drop back passing. But 83rd percentile. 0.36 EPA per drop back in this one. Like they were pretty good passing the ball. And I like to see that fundamentally. I would rather see that and then turnovers, which could maybe be cleaned up than sometimes guys who don't have any turnovers, but can't do anything offensively with all these different weapons. So I'm going to give them a little, a little bit of credit there. And I think that um, they didn't show a ton of faith in him with a pass rate 13.4% under expectation. But, you know, he's still he's still able to make some plays there. Now, they also had fumbles on the other side and mistakes on the other side. The top three plays in this game were all negatives. And then Mayfield also had an interception later. So that's what kept the score down. Teams were moving the ball okay, but then not able to really put into the end zone. So Ritter, you know, 10, 10 yards per attempt, zero interceptions, one sack. Not not bad, not bad fundamentals there. Just the fumbles were were killer. But even still, you net everything out. Um, positive 0.14 EPA per play. And I don't know. I feel like you look at that versus you look at the the rushing attack, where even if you don't have the fumbles in there, let's just look at like the running backs. And remember, this is the most efficient running attack in the game, or one of the top three, let's say in EPA per play last season, in success rate last season. Um, Bijan Robinson barely played because he was sick, so he only had one design runs. We're not going to count that. But the other guys, Tyler Algier, 21 design runs, negative 2.6 EPA per play, 33% success rate. 
Patterson, a little bit better. You know, he only had 10 design runs, but he only had slightly negative EPA, so not bad there. But still, only a 30% success rate. It was really a big play that he had that kept him up there. The offense is the, the, the success rate has just not been good. Not been good. I know Ritter had the fumbles, but still, the overall success rate for these running backs, 33% in this game, they're just not doing nearly what they were doing the year before. So Ritter playing through that, I think maybe give him a little bit more credit. I know the negatives were bad, but guess what? He's making positives too in the, in the passing game. So you gotta you gotta think net net. Where are we overall? And overall, he was adding value when he was dropping back to pass. And overall, he's adding value. Period. Uh, in, even including the fumbles. So I don't know. That's how I'm gonna look at it. Versus, it seems like people are really concentrating on his mistakes there, which are bad and, and you know maybe killers against a better team. But uh, I'm not gonna jump all over him too much. Now, speaking of killers, like the Bucks really can't rush the ball. Um, success rate of 15% trying to rush the ball. Negative 0.4 EPA per play on design runs. It's, you know, it's bad. So Baker did okay in this game uh, by the numbers. And I don't know, you know, how much credit or blame he's going to get on this particular one. But man, the, this Bucks team... They didn't really run the ball that great for multiple years now, but at least they they allowed Baker to pass a lot with 42 attempts in this one. But Rashad White, 34 yards on 13 carries. Keyshawn Vaughn, seven yards on four carries. Ugh. Nasty, 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 nasty. We're talking about two yards per carry sort of stuff for them. They're going to need to get that going a bit even if they do turn it over and let Baker go because you know he's going to take some sacks and he's going to throw some interceptions. That's what Baker's going to do, uh, whether whether you like it or not. All right, let's get to the uh, late window now. So the big marquee game here was uh, Taylor Swift versus Chargers fan, <laughs> whoever the Chargers fan is. Okay, let me. I, I got a little commentary on Chargers fan. So you know, I like I get it that people want to join in to whatever the discourse is. I I I I was on the team of people like defending her versus calls of being like a plant or something because she had a Minnesota Vikings jersey on before in the past, this and that all silliness. It all shows you we have just too much time between one game and another that we have to have this whole conversation, but any goodwill that I had out the window immediately when I saw her at this game in Kansas city. And then at one point in the game, she and the person next to them were like wearing Buffalo wild wing hats. I mean, she's shilling for Buffalo Wild Wings. Come on, lady. Like, you had some goodwill. You did well. Like, don't be so eager. I don't think she's a fake or anything like that as far as being a fan. But don't be so eager to, to, to cash in on this uh, on this fame and, like, do 5,000 radio hits and everything else. That does kind of rub me a little bit the wrong way. But anyway, hey, you know, can't knock the hustle. Uh, okay, let's look at the numbers overall in this one. This was a 14-point victory for the Chiefs. 11 points by adjusted score, so that's still pretty healthy. Uh, Chiefs ran, uh, Chiefs passed the ball 13% over expectation, and it should have been much higher. I mean, I don't know. I guess you like you got to keep on giving the running game a chance to do something, but, man, I was just cursing my TV. I was kind of rooting for Kansas City in this one. I like Mahomes. I'm a Mahomes stand, even if everyone is at this point. Um. I was kind of cursing my TV every single time that they ran the ball in this one. 
because man, it was ugly. It was ugly. Um, if you look at the numbers, right? So the Chiefs, they only ran the ball 17 times. So not a lot, you could say, but I, I don't know. I just c- couldn't get over it. They never gained more than seven yards on any run. 70% of those runs were three or fewer yards. So just like not being successful. They were below the 10th percentile in rushing efficiency. And the reason I find that to be killer is because they were passing the ball with ease, 95th percentile passing the ball. They're averaging half an expected points gained on every single pass attempt. And then they're losing 0.4 expected points on average on every single rushing attempt. Yeah, I mean, there's probably some value in mixing it up. There's probably some value in giving your quarterback a break so he doesn't have to drop back every single time. But we're talking about Patrick Mahomes here. Dude dropped back to pass like 80 times a game when he was at Texas Tech. I think this is, I think it's in his DNA to not care whether the defense knows he's going to pass it or not. That's why he's so good at converting those third and longs when everyone on the planet knows that he's going to pass the ball. Uh, anyway, what's weird about the Chargers is I actually thought they were playing better than what their numbers say when it, just watching the game. And this, again, it goes to maybe look at the numbers first and then watch the game second, which I did not do for this one. Uh, because they only had a 40% success rate passing the ball. And then I knew they were kind of bad rushing the ball outside of that Joshua Kelly. Joshua Kelly had a long uh, 49-yard touchdown, which is their most positive play of the game. So I knew they were bad rushing the ball. But I, I thought they were a little bit better passing the ball. I think things just went off of the rails in the second half where they just couldn't, you know, they, they couldn't get back into the game when they were given some opportunities by uh, Kansas City. Uh, the Blake Bell fumble in particular is the most negative play of the game. So that was the big one for um, that, that kind of kept them in the game when Kansas City was already up a touchdown. It was the third quarter second down and seven on the Chargers 26. They were going in for what basically would have been the kill shot. I know two touchdowns with a quarter and a half left doesn't seem like a kill shot, but it's really hard to win when you're down by that much that late against a good offense. When they didn't get that, it kind of let the Chargers back in the game, but then they 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 couldn't complete it there. Um, Mahomes, MVP favorite. Definitely, it should be more so than what it even is. 0.6 EPA per play in this one. CPOE off the charts, scrambling, scramble master, a couple of huge four, third down scrambles that they ended up converting in this one. And, you know, doesn't doesn't make mistakes. 3.1 EPA lost, so he did have some EPA lost. There was like some mistakes there. I think he took a sack in this one that was fairly significant. Let me see, did he take, maybe he took two sacks. So there were like some negatives in this one. No, it was only one sack. Oh, he had the interception. I forgot about that. Um, but uh, that one actually wasn't like highly, highly negative. It didn't even register on the top 10 most impactful plays of the game. So, you know, Mahomes doing his thing, only losing 3.1 EPA on those plays. If you throw an interception in a certain circumstance, then... But what was the circumstance here? It must have been like a third and long or something. Um, Where is it? Sorry, this is not great podcasting here. Oh, here it is. It was third and 12. So, yeah, third and 12. Chuck it up. Give Hardman a chance to do something. And, you know, as Nicole Hardman does, he failed. (laughs) Trying to do something. And it's an interception. But it's kind of like an arm punt in a way on third and 12 because where were they at they were at their own 39 
and then the Chargers started on their own 21. So let's do some quick math on that one. What is that? That's 29 yards plus 11 yards. So that's a 40 yards, like a 40 yard punt. So yeah, it's basically a 40 yard punt on third and 12. And that's why that interception, the interception for Mahomes is again, a good strategic decision in a way uh, from Mahomes. even though you could say throwing up a 50, 50 ball to McCole Hartman is never a good strategic decision. Um, Hartman, a good, good uh, props to Hartman though. He had a good, uh, punt return. I think it was in the first half. And then he also converted a third down right on that same exact drive, which ended up leading to a touchdown. So props to him on this one. Um, this was also one where the chargers got the ball first, which helped them kind of stay in the game. They were also scoring themselves early, which helped them stay in the game, but it was a little bit of an onslaught from Kansas city going field goal, touchdown, touchdown to start the game interception, but again, on an arm punt and then another touchdown. So they did kind of lay it to them and, and put the chargers in a, in a poor position. Uh, another huge game for Travis Kelsey with uh, Taylor Swift in the crowd. Um, you know, it's weird. Like the Taylor Swift propaganda is working on me at least because um, like now I'm I, maybe, oh, you know, what's happening is a double things, Taylor Swift propaganda. And then the fact that, um, we have a car in the shop and I'm driving my, uh, my in-laws old car where I can't do like Spotify playlists. So I'm just listening to the radio with my kids. When I listen to the radio with my kids, you know, they want to listen to whatever, like, you know, hot music hits station. And Taylor Swift is just being, it's just constant on there. Taylor Swift, uh, Olivia Rodrigo are, are, are basically in Doja cat. I'm basically getting those in rotation. Like every third song is one of those. It's like, hey, you know what? Taylor Swift's not so bad. I'm kind of, I'm kind of digging, kind of digging some of the hits. You, you, you worked. You, you got me, NFL. You got me. Uh, the, the, um, the, uh, what's it called? The, the, the Illuminati got me here by with the Taylor Swift propaganda. Herbert, eh, I don't know, whatever. He's still in the top ten in EPA per play. Kind of a poor effort in this one. I'm not sure how much the finger is affecting him on these sorts of plays. He was under a decent amount of pressure. Just too many mistakes. Too many mistakes. Interception. Um, sacks. Taking sacks in this one. Too much, too much on this one. Uh, also, I got to do a special shaming here for Brandon Staley. 0 for 4 on fourth down decisions where he could have gained 1% win probability. Now, in his defense, these were not traditional win for attempts one of them was a traditional one actually now i think about it none of them were traditional ones they were all on the chargers side of the field and it's all one of these ones where it's like oh we're within one touchdown it's a one possession game it's a one score game first of all you're on the road even if you score a touchdown you give the ball back to the other team that can go and take the lead again even if it's a one possession game that means you have to go to overtime and win in a game where you're not the favorite. So, like, you are down. When you're down one score in this game, uh, let me bring up some of the win probabilities here. Just to give you some context, and when people are looking at these one-possession games, what it really means in terms of actual, like, where you are in terms of one win probability. I mean, the Chiefs are still up around 80% the entire time in the second half when they're up by this one possession most of the time here. You're still behind the eight ball. You know, as the Chargers, don't think of it as you're in this situation where, hey, we're hanging tough. No, you're 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 behind the eight ball here. You're on the road. Like, you need to go for it sometimes, even if your offense looks a little clunky. I mean, do you not have faith in Justin Herbert? 
and this passing offense. Even if they're not looking great. I understand it's fourth and three on your own 35-yard line, and you're only down a touchdown. So you don't want to do it. Well, guess what? You got to start doing it. You got to do it. They gave about 7% win probability with those four decisions. Um, they ended up converting one later, which actually wasn't even a 1% win probability gain because the score was more out of hand at that point. But I don't know. Like someone's got to be telling Staley that these are good decisions to take. I know he's going to get he's going to get a lot of shit when they don't convert them. And, you know, he lost in the game because everyone's like, oh, they were still in it. They weren't as in it as people think they were in it. That's what people need to start learning. That's the power of these models. They can help us out when you're on your own side of the field, when you're facing a good offense, when you're down one possession in a game, and when you have a decent offense yourself. Take those little ones. You had four opportunities. Again, it's not the thousands of opportunities that Mike Florio thinks you need in order to be able to make a decision. <laughs> he thinks he thinks you need a thousand chances before you can like do the right thing on individual chances. Um, but it's four chances. You make two out of four, you're in a you're in a winning position. Like you, you've gained, you've gained from that. You had a chance. You gave a you gave the ball away a couple more times to a Chiefs offense that's like highly likely to get points anyway in better field position. But you might get a lot more points yourself. And that's that's what you're really trying to do. Score points. That's what we're trying to do here, people. Give your offense a chance to do that a little bit more often, Staley. Okay. Rams, Steelers, um, pretty ugly game from actually, you know, the success rate is decent for the Steelers, but they don't have any big plays. Like they had a like a good success rate over 50% offensively, but their total offensive EPA was just a little bit over 50%. Uh, I actually ran the ball pretty well in this one. I didn't watch much of it here. It sounds like the Steelers defense did a job on Matthew Stafford, in particular, this um, interception to open the second half from TJ Watt, 7.3 EPA loss, 16% win probability loss. That's a big one. Not only was it, you know, a pick on the LA side of the field, but then he took it back to the seven yard line and, you know, the EPA, the expected points for your team, when the Steelers grab the ball. So that's like the what you're subtracting out um, of the EPA line here. Once you start to get inside the 10 yard line, man, it just goes up exponentially. So getting it all the way down to the seven was huge, huge run back portion of that also for TJ Watt. Um, 19.7, negative 19.7 completion percentage over expectation for Stafford. Looks like a bad game. It's kind of weird because people are like, oh, he's playing in an EP, playing it at a MVP sort of level. Maybe I bought into that hype a little bit because of the fact that his adjusted efficiency by my numbers looks better, you know, puts him in the top 10, puts him in the top, I don't know, six or seven. And I don't know, this one was not good. Did mitigate the negatives though a bit by having some some big plays offensively, but you know, not completing nearly enough. Kenny Pickett. I mean, his numbers look okay on this one, but they didn't run the ball. I mean, they didn't pass the ball a ton. He didn't have to drop back that often. Part of it is rushing and scrambling, which is nice that he has that, but you'd like to see a little bit more, you know, through the air. But it does look like his air EPA was okay on this one. Didn't make a lot of mistakes. Eh, you know, not bad, but it, he's kind of falling into that, like, Alex Smithian sort of performances, right? with maybe a little bit too many mistakes. Sometimes it's like you can add some value on the 
on the ground. You can make some bigger plays if your receivers are helping you out. Again, Alex Smithy in there. Um, but if he he can probably have a decent career. Just got to keep those negatives down a bit. Okay, let's go ahead and shame Sean McVay on this one too, just like Staley. 54-yard field goal attempt on fourth and four. Come on, dude. You got to do better than that. Um, and it's especially bad because there was a sequence where the Rams had third and five and they run the ball. So in my opinion, if you're in like no man's land, in other words, you're in this, this situation where you're on the other team side of the field, but you're in a field goal range where you're starting to get above, you know, 50 yards so that your chances of making it starts going down significantly with each yard you're further out. If you run on third and five in that situation, that should be you're thinking rather than throw and set up a fourth and five, I'm going to run and set up an easier fourth down and then go for it. Like you, you should have in your head, hey, we're probably not going to convert this necessarily on third and five running the ball, but we can set up the fourth down. So they did run the ball. They only got the one yard and then they caved and, and, and decided to kick the field goal rather than go for it on fourth down, where in my opinion, Fourth down had to be like, this is a go for it on fourth down. We're going to run it on third, and then we're going to go for it on fourth. And they didn't do it. Uh, now, a couple other times, they, according to the numbers, they should have done it on their own side of the field. You know, you're, you're, not, you're not getting that from Sean McVay, no matter what. Um, okay. Yeah, zero fourth down attempts for the, for the Rams, per usual. Uh, Seattle, Arizona. Seattle, much, much better in this game by success rate. A lot better converting third and fourth downs. Turnovers were a bit of an issue, but they played right through that. So the fact that they had this, like their adjusted point differentials, the same as the actual score because of the fact that, you know, you mitigate out some of those, those turnovers with third and fourth down success. And it kind of all nets out there. Um, good defensive performance. And Josh Dobbs, the shine has kind of come off of him doing a elegant tank for them the last couple of weeks. But I still think due to primacy bias, we're going to lower the primacy effect. I don't know which one it is. Sometimes it's effect, sometimes it's bias. I, I, I get I get confused. I think it might be primacy effect. We're not going to give a lot of shit to the Cardinals for Josh Dobbs and him looking bad these last couple of weeks because he looked feasible early in the season. So this is pretty good for the Cardinals. They can just like tank out <laughs> the rest of the year and we'll all still say, hey, you know, Josh Dobbs, he was okay, right? Even if he continues to just go down the drain the entire rest of the season. Let's bring up Tankathon. Where are they? Are they going to sneak up in here? Um, well, they can't catch the Panthers because the Panthers are haven't won a game yet uh, and they're on bye. But one and six, there they are, slotted into second place here. Uh, unfortunately, the Texans are doing pretty well. So their pick of, from the Texans is all the way up at the middle of the middle of the first round at 16th overall. So they're not getting any juice out of that or any big juice out of that. But still, good position. They're in good position here. Let's see what happens when Kyler comes back. I think Kyler is going to come back. Mm, starts to get a little dicey. You know, John Dobbs doing is doing your thing, doing the thing, doing the thing you might want here. Um, if even, even dropping down from second to third place could be a huge, huge difference in the, in the value of your pick there, but you do have Kyler. I don't know. It's a tough, it's a tough spot there. Tough spot. Um, 
what happened here? Uh, Seahawks, bad rushing the ball, good passing the ball. Good game for Geno Smith. Uh, although part of that rush is a fumble from Geno. I think it was a ex- bad exchange fumble. I don't know how much it was his fault or not, but that was the the big negative. And again, like fumbles are always huge negatives because they're done. They normally come on good down and distance situations. This was on second and three. Like a fumble on second and three is a killer because it's a very good um, expected points type of situation because you not only are you expected to convert that first down, you could make a big play in that type of situation. Uh, also, Gina Smith had an interception on like, fr- he, they were throwing from the Cardinal 16. I think it was the actual interception took place like right in the end zone sort of area. So gave away some points there too on third and four on the Arizona 16 yard line as, you know, as Gino is wont to do. Uh, Josh Dobbs, though, 25-yard touchdown run. That's pretty good. So, again, you know, he's, he's doing all right. Uh, first touchdown here for Jackson Smith and Jigba. Congratulations there. Uh, you know, Geno Smith is pretty good. It's pretty good in this game. Again, CPOE king. So, he has 12% completion percentage over expectation, about a quarter of a point EPA per play that he was adding in here. But it could have been a lot more without, without a couple of mistakes there for Geno. So... I'm sure he made some great throws. That's what Gino does. Um, okay, let's let's wrap up the late window here with, I don't know, a game that I'm not sure too many people care about. I think Packers fans have, have given up <laughs> on this season already. Uh, Broncos-Packers. Broncos end up winning it by two. The adjusted score, I had the Packers being better by one, but, like, who cares? Uh, 42% success rate for the Broncos, 44 for the Packers. So slightly better Packers leaned into the run quite a bit more 10% pass rate under expectation and actually pretty good efficiency passing the ball for both teams, but the pack, but the Packers ran more often. So that kind of held down their overall efficiency to me more so than what you would have thought. Um, a lot of positives in the impactful plays here, which is surprising because they didn't score that many points. I think it's just failures on some ability to to get to get third downs. I mean, Jordan Love had an interception, but it was on third and twenty. On the it effectively killed the game, so it's just not going to have that much of an impact on win probability or expected points from that bad of a situation. Uh, both quarterbacks are actually pretty good. Again, this is one of these things with Russell Wilson where I think both these quarterbacks are kind of playing for their 2024 jobs with their current team. I mean, Russell Wilson is going to be difficult to extract that contract for the Broncos, but I think they can do it if they really, you know, if they really work it out well. Maybe they get someone to take some of that salary if he plays well enough down the stretch. But both teams, I think, are kind of out as far as real playoff chances. But Love could maybe play himself into, you know, being their guy next year. And he wasn't bad in this game. Although I think some people will look at the results and maybe not be uh, too happy about it when you start looking up at the Packers, who are sitting in seventh, tied for seventh in the tankathon here at two and four right now. You know, lost three in a row. So, yeah, that, that's the shine off of it. Two and one. They were sitting at two and one. I saw the Packers ranked in the top 10 by some power rankings when they were sitting at two and one. Three losses in a row. And uh, all of a sudden, the Vikings are going to be passing them pretty soon. Obviously, the Vikings fundamentally a much, much better team than the Packers this year. All right, let's get to the last game here, Sunday night. 
Eagles in their Kelly Green uniforms, which everyone loves. Um, might be no better look here than A.J. Brown with the visor in the Kelly Green uniforms, breaking tackles, heading into the end zone here. Um, not really like a close game at all, despite the fact that the Eagles tried to like give it away when it came to turnovers here. Uh, Eagles win by 14. They were up by seven for uh, quite a while here and then extended it to 14 eventually when the Dolphins offense fell completely flat in the second half. And the adjusted difference is 10. So a little bit more narrow, but you know, about there. Uh, I don't think the adjusted scores can really handle how good the Eagles are on the tush push or the brotherly shove. Like the adjusted scores get broken by the fact that they have such a high success rate and EPA gained on those. We think that will re regress and it seems to never actually happen. Um, but just a better success rate. The Dolphins offense had a, had a bad game. Worst success rate of the season, worst EPA per play of the season, and 10 penalties for 70 yards. So 5.4 EPA lost to the Eagles on those penalties. Eagles did not have a single penalty. So that was another one that really came into play. Some of that's fluky. Some of that, you know, you got to have some discipline there, Dolphins. Um, Tyreek Hill, that 27-yard touchdown to cut the lead to seven points at halftime. That was pretty sweet. That was one of those ones. That, I mean, this dude is just incredible, like an incredible athlete. It's amazing you can have, like, all the best athletes in the world, and then you throw him out there, and he just looks, like, on a different level than anyone else. When Tua threw that ball, I thought I was like, okay, there's like no human being can catch up to that. And he just gets to it pretty easily for the, the over-the-shoulder catch. I mean, the defensive backs must be thinking the same thing because they keep on letting him catch it. They must be like, oh, no one can get to that ball. But he can get he can get to everything. Um, so Jalen Hurts, yeah, there were some big negatives in this one. So we had a strip sack fumble in the first quarter, lost five EPA, lost 16.5% win probability. So that was a big one, a big mistake on third and eight. Hurts, you got to be a little bit. He's he's really he's had some turnover issues this year. Like fundamentals, really good for the Eagles' offense and the Eagles' passing offense. Turnovers and losses have been bad, um, and it happened again in this game. But it didn't matter because their fundamentals were like off the charts good the rest of their game. So he had that. Then in the third quarter, first play of the drive, they it has the tipped. The tip ball, which ends up being a pick six, eight EPA lost 20, almost 25% win probability lost on that one. Two massive plays, but it didn't matter. Didn't matter where you're too good outside of that. Didn't matter when you have 15 targets for 10 catches, 137 yards and a touchdown to AJ Brown in this one. Crazy. So AJ Brown, since week three, he's averaging 12 targets, eight receptions, 140 yards a game or his averages. Since so week three, four, five, six, seven, or do they take a week off? They might take a week off there. Uh, and plus three touchdowns in that stretch. Pretty good. Uh, 10.6 expected points on fourth down conversion. So three brotherly shoves, one 30 yard, 32 yard completion to AJ Brown on fourth and three. So they got about almost half of that from the fourth and three big play to AJ Brown. But still the rest of that, when you're racking up five, six, expected points through brotherly shoves per game. That's huge, huge. Um, Dolphins were 0 for 2 on fourth down. So so if you look at, if you take the fourth downs from one team versus the fourth downs of the other team, Eagles, 16 expected points advantage on this one. Four for four on their conversions. 
uh, obviously, and two of them were inside their own 40-yard line where they converted them pretty easily. Uh, so, again, Hurts, almost negative 15 EPA on sacks, the strip, the strip sack, and um, the pick six, but still quarter EPA added per play despite those negatives. That just shows you how good they were outside of that. Um, Tua, bad game for him. I was shocked, kind of. Shocked may be overstating it, but I was very surprised when I looked at MVP odds this morning and saw that Tua was still in second place to Mahomes. Jalen Hurts in third. I know Josh Allen lost the game, but like, I don't know. I feel like Josh Allen's a lot better. Tua's been, you know, some of the warts have been coming out in games like this. It's a tough game, though, in Philly. Um, I don't know. Tua's like, his efficiency is starting to fall. Where does he stand now in EPA per play by my numbers? Yeah, he's fourth. So he's still, he's behind Allen. He's behind Brock Purdy. He's only slightly higher than guys like Lamar Jackson. So, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of a little, little surprised there. Someone like Lamar Jackson. I wouldn't be surprised if he got more MVP votes than Tua at this point. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe they're playing going forward. The fact that he's going to turn things around. Um, really ugly interception on third and eight. Maybe he's in a bad spot, he thought, on third and eight. But, I mean, just throw the ball away. Get some points or potentially go for it on fourth down. Um, just threw up this, like, rainbow interception really not not good um but i think the dolphins i mean i still love the dolphins the rushing game was didn't really come to play that was also a problem in this one losing 0.17 epa per per run that was something they really could have used in this game they started to get it going a little bit in the second half but it was completely dormant in the first half and that was that was a problem for them and something they need to fix uh going forward if they're going to be able to win games like this one against another good offense that can perform well on the ground. All right, everybody. Uh, let's see. Wait, there's a comment on here. Can you? I'm gonna answer one of these these comments. Well, we'll see if, if anyone else pops up here. I'll answer it. But uh, says here we go. From says, can you explain what major factors are used in most fourth down model calculations? Yeah. So there's there's pretty. It's pretty easy. Now. Like what goes into certain numbers is not that easy to figure out, but the inputs are pretty easy. So the things that everyone focuses on, conversion probabilities. That's the thing everyone focuses on. That's the thing that's a lot more intuitive that you can almost, you know, figure out in your head a little bit more. So it'll be, you know, probability of making the field goal. Um, for a punt, it'll just be your, you know, average what you assumed field position the team will have when they get the punt back, which then translates to to expected points and win probability there. So there's not really a conversion there, but making the field goal and your probability of converting the fourth down with some extra juice for the fact you can make big plays on fourth down. So it's like what you now, but and that's the and that's the and the bigger part of it, and this is the part that people don't focus on nearly enough. I think when they're talking about these models because it's very very opaque is your Win probabilities underneath all these scenarios. Win probability the field goes in. Win probability the field goal misses. Win probability if you convert. Win probability if you don't. So those are all the different things. So it's your conversion probabilities times your win probabilities. And in that way, it's kind of a simple calculation at that point. But it's getting those win probabilities in particular. That is the very, very difficult point. When we're near the end of the game, 
coaches can kind of figure out uh, this will be really, really huge for my win probability if we make it. It'll be really, really bad if we don't make it. But it's more it's it's more difficult for coaches to figure that out earlier in the game on their own side of the field. Like, what are the win probabilities going to be post-play um, depending upon different outcomes in these scenarios? That's the thing that people have problems with. And that's when the models <clears throat> can be very useful, of course, looking at historical rates uh, for the most part. Uh, one other question here. Kelsey is 34. How much of a blow to Mahomes would be to lose the freelance option route from Kelsey? I, mean, I think it'd be a huge blow. We don't have a ton of sample on it. We don't have a ton of sample. Also, he just didn't, didn't miss any games forever. I mean, it was actually Tyreek Hill who missed games back when they were both on the team and Mahomes still performed really, really well. So that one was hard. That one was really hard um, to figure out, like, what does Kelsey mean? We have that week one. You want to read too much into it or not? I don't know. I do think they are particularly bereft at options. Other than this, it was kind of interesting that, like, I think Kelsey was actually taking a breather on the Blake Bell catch and fumble after that. So, like, the one play, the on-off splits, the one play Kelsey goes off the field. They have some problems there. I mean, it's problematic. So, you're going to you have to keep your fingers crossed here, and you're going to have to invest in the in the position, hopefully, going forward. I like them. I was actually calling that they should have drafted Sam Laporta. That was my my dream pick for them. Uh, this year didn't end up happening of course but kelsey's been awesome i mean god the guy does not age i don't know what's going on there um maybe final question here it says in mlb players need around 700 plate appearances before their stats stabilize what do we know about this number for quarterbacks specifically dropbacks um i don't know you need like a career no i'm just kidding you need a lot from what i've seen and i don't have this right in front of me so i'm i'm postulating a bit here because I'm thinking about the Bayesian calculation that I do and how the standard deviation decreases. I would say two seasons are pretty good. Now, I know we have the outlier kind of Josh Allen jumps in your third year situation. But normally, if we get up to 500, 600, 700, 800. So maybe in a similar sort of thing as about the 700 plate appearances. There might be some similarity there. In dropbacks, they start to stabilize. Now, the problem is that stability is still contingent upon being in the same system, playing in the same place. If quarterbacks move from one location to another, all bets are off. Normally, their numbers go down. Now, some of that is not just because they're moving. Most of that is probably that their numbers were inflated before because quarterbacks don't leave unless a team allows them to leave. And if a team allows them to leave, then they probably think the quarterback is not as good as his numbers. Um, whereas for, a, for a, a batter, 700 plate appearances, you could probably go and drop that in, you know, just drop it into a different team. And I wouldn't adjust my expectations at all at that point. So it's more like 700 dropbacks for a quarterback within the same system. You start to get some decent stability still with higher though. You still, you're not getting the same level of stability that we're talking about for a major league player. And especially not the same level of like fundamental stability outside of the surroundings, which have to be accounted for much more so in the NFL. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for the questions. Thanks for tuning in. I'm going to try to drop. I'm actually going to go through here and put some timestamps on YouTube. I got some people complaining about that. So some, some fans want to get in there and just hear their my take on their one team and disagree with it. So I'll go ahead and do that on YouTube. Check that out. Otherwise, I'll try to make sure I come back on Friday this week. Apologies for not being able to do it last week. 
Um, otherwise, check out everything on the site, the Sunday night review, advance review post at unexpectedpoints.substack.com is free for all to view. So you can check that out. And otherwise, I'll be talking to everyone here at the end of the week. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.